You're listening to audio provided by Valleydale Church. To find more resources or to donate to this ministry, please check out valleydale.org. You got your copy of God's Word, Genesis chapter 21. I want you to listen to something for just a moment. Now just, it's, just relax for a minute. I want you just to hear this. an overture. Now, I do that for a reason. That's the overture to Beethoven's Ninth, his Ninth Symphony, which is my favorite piece of music. Um, I just love it. Now, an overture introduces you to what's coming. The whole of the overture, you heard how it starts so softly, and then there's a jar. Well, that's Beethoven. You know, he starts, he lulls you into thinking that, oh, this is so nice right here. And then, boom, it just, it scares the wits out of you. Well, that's going to come for the whole of the Ninth Symphony. Uh, An overture introduces you. It's the introduction, but it gives you somewhat of a sense of what's coming. Now, everything that we've been studying in Abraham has been overture to this point. It's all been an overture. Uh, go all the way back to the end of the 11th chapter, the first of the 12th chapter of Genesis. Uh, we started this back in February, by the way, in walking through the life of Abraham. Everything that, that, that we've studied has been leading up to this one chapter, chapter 21. Everything in his life for 75 years, he walks out of Ur for 25 years. He walks out of Ur of Chaldees at 75 years of age. And uh, he goes to the land of promise. And all the things that happens over those 25 years um, that brings us to chapter 21, all of that has been just preparatory for what's about to take place in chapter. It's huge. It's big. It's, um, it is major. It is a major part of the plan of God in human history. There are four really high watermarks of the Old Testament that you need to kind of know. Four different passages in the Old Testament that are very critical. The first is Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 is what is known as the Proto-Evangelium, the first gospel. It's the first place in Scripture where we're told that God has a plan for our salvation. He is going to send the seed of a woman who will crush the head of the serpent. 
So right there, we're introduced, we look back, we're introduced to the Messiah who is going to come. That's probably the first great high watermark of the Old Testament. The second would be, uh, I think, uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7, where in 2 Samuel chapter 7, God looks at David and he says, I'm going to establish your throne forever, for eternity. In other words, David, uh, there is going to be someone who will sit on the throne uh, of David uh, for all of eternity, and that someone is who? Your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. So who will for eternity occupy that throne? Jesus will. The, uh, the third great passage that you need to know in the Old Testament is Jeremiah chapter 31, where God comes and he tells uh, the prophet that uh, there's coming a day. I'm in chapter 31 of Jeremiah, ver- verse 31, when I will make a new covenant. Now you get uh, a reference to the new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand, brought them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I'll put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it. He says, I'm going to make a new covenant with them. It's not going to be written in stone this time. I'm going to write it in their heart. Now, the fourth great high watermark of Scripture is here in um, Genesis chapter 21. What is about to take place in Genesis 21 is you are going to have the birth of a baby, the birth of Isaac. This is the son of promise. Uh, This is what God has promised Abraham now for 25 years. And you're going to watch through this how God is going to build out of this one boy an entire nation through whom in that nation God will bless the rest of the world for all of eternity because it is through that nation and out of uh, the seed of Abraham that Jesus Christ is going to be born. So this is huge. Now I've just given you four big major uh, important passages in the Old Testament that if you're going to understand anything in the rest of Scripture, you really have got to understand these four things. So we're going to come to this one tonight. Now, put it in your mind, Abraham is 100 and Sarah is 99 when you get to chapter 21. Verse 1, he's 100 years old, she's 99 years old. This is an incredibly important event, not just in their lives, But this is a very important event in the life of the rest of human history and for all of eternity. And I've just got two things that I'm going to show you. I'm going to break this chapter down just into two parts. One is this. First of all, faith celebrates when God fulfills his promise. Now, let me just pause right there and say this. Uh, it is okay for the people of God to celebrate in the house of God. You know, there are about six or seven festivals. And when you go through the Old Testament, you've got Passover and you've got uh, trumpets and you've got um, uh, tabernacles 
and you've got these six or seven different festivals. Do you know what God was doing? God brought the whole nation together, just like a family at Christmas time, but he did it about six or seven times a year. They had to, they were required, if at all possible, to be at three of these, um, that that nation all came together in one place at one time, one great big family gathering at one time, and they were to celebrate through the whole thing. It was to be a great celebration when God brought his people together. That's exactly what Sunday should be for the people of God. It should be a day of great celebration. We have got um, uh, folks that I'm going to baptize uh, a man this coming Sunday. I think there are a couple of others to be baptized. And um, I love the way you do it, the way you call family and friends uh, down here around the baptistry when they're baptized. Why? Because we should celebrate. It's a time to celebrate when somebody has come and given their life to Jesus Christ. Um, there are other things that we should celebrate. God has done some great things in the life of this church over the last number of months. We should be celebrating. Y'all just sitting there like. Um, we're watching God do some things here that I'm telling you. That's why they're asking me to be on this thing with Nam tomorrow. Uh, is because people are hearing what's happening at Valleydale. And they want to know what's going on, what's happening here. So there's some things to celebrate. Well, faith celebrates when God fulfills his promise. Now, that is the whole of this chapter, is that God has kept his promise. Everything that's being said in this chapter is that. And it's repeated again and again and again. Look at verse 1. Then the Lord took note of Sarah as he had said. And uh, the Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. So Sarah conceived, and she bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the appointed time which God had spoken to him. Uh, There it is. God said he was going to do it. God had promised it. He had promised Sarah. He had promised Abraham. God kept his promise to both uh, Abraham and to Sarah. Look at what it says there in verse 2. It says he did it at the appointed time of which God had spoken to him. That is, God did it in his time. God keeps his promises. God always keeps his promises. You know that's stated 50 times in the New Testament, that God keeps his promises? Now, let me, let me show you something here about that. Two things that are here that are kind of interesting. Number one, God not only gives his promise, but God repeats the promises that he gives us. Now, he's repeated this promise to Abraham four different times. If you want to go back, you can go back to chapter 12. God tells him there that he's going to make him a nation. And so he gives him a word there in chapter 13. He comes and he tells him in chapter 13 that he's going to give him a a child, that he's going to give him a son. You come over to chapter 15 and he gives it to him again in chapter 15. And then you get to chapter 17 and in chapter 17, he gives it to him a fourth time. Four different times, God repeats his promise. You ever made a promise to a child? What does that child like? They like to hear that promise again and again and again and again. Now, you take, if I take these uh, grandkids and I tell them, listen, I'm going to take you down Friday when you get out of school, after your first week of school, I'm going to take you to Brahms. I'm going to get all of you a banana split. Now, I promise I'm going to do it. You know what they'll be doing? 
Now, Doc, we're going Friday. Banana split, Brahms, after school, right? They'll ask it again and again and again and again. They keep talking about it. They want you to talk about it. They want to hear you say it again. Will you tell me that promise again? What are we going to do Friday? We're going to go down to Brahms, get a banana split at school on Friday. And uh, here's the fact of the matter. When somebody makes you a promise, you won't repeat it to them. Why? Because we think that's being rude. But do you know what you think about? You keep thinking about it. You keep telling yourself, well, this is what they said. I wonder if they're going to do it. I wonder if they're going to keep their word. I wonder if they're going to live up to that. This is what he said. He, he promised me he's going to take me to buy me some shoes. Now, I just wonder if he's remembering that. Boy, it's quiet in here. You know, we like to be reminded of promises. We like to hear it. Just like a child, we like to hear it. Listen to what Jesus, when Jesus, Jesus constantly told these disciples that he was going away, but listen to what he said, I'm never going to leave you nor forsake you. He comes back and he tells them, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He comes back and he tells them again, I will not leave you as orphans. He gives us a promise and God comes back and he repeats it. He gives us that promise. Why? Because he is a good God. He knows our heart. We are his children. And he knows down on the inside what's going on in our God. Are you going to do it? Are you really going to come through? Are you going to do what you've said you're going to do? That you're not going to leave me? That you're here? That you're going to forgive me? And God just gives us reassurance after reassurance after reassurance. That's why, that's part of the reason of being in church, is to hear again and again and again the promises of God. Now let me give you the second thing. God not only repeats the promises, he expands the promises. That's what he does with with Abraham. So let me take you back and let me show you that in the text. Go back to chapter 12. He comes and here he's going to give him the Abrahamic covenant right here. Chapter 12, verse 1, the Lord said to Abraham, or to Abram, at the time he was Abram, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house. Well, that's another funny thing too. And I've told you, uh, Abram means uh, father, Abraham means exalted father. And God comes and he says, I'm going to change your name and you're going to be exalted father. And he didn't even have a child. And don't you know that everybody in that camp were walking around snickering saying, the old man came out and told us today, it's no longer Abram, it's Abraham, not just father, it's father of a multitude. The poor old guy, bless his heart, you know, he's losing it. God changes his name, father of a multitude. And so he comes to him and he says, you know, I want you to leave your relatives, your father's house. Now watch what he says. I will make you a great nation. Now he doesn't tell him how he's going to do that. He doesn't drop him down a blueprint. He doesn't, uh, he doesn't send him some kind of outline and tell him here, this is how I'm going to do it. He just doesn't do it. He just says, I'm going to make you. He has no clue as to how God's going to do that. He doesn't even ask God. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you. I'll make your name great, and you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. But it starts out, I'm going to make out of you a great nation. 
You're going to have a lot of descendants here. Well, what does he do? He comes in chapter 13. Look at verse 16. He's going to expand it. He comes here, you know, Lot takes the land away from him. He is kind of, I think he must be depressed. It's got to depress you to have done to you what Lot did to him. And so God just takes him and he walks him and he says, listen, lift up your eyes. Verse 14, look out on the place. All this land is yours. I'm going to give it to you and your descendants forever. Verse 15. Now verse 16, I'll make your descendants as the dust of the earth so that if any can number the dust of the earth, you can't even count the dust under your bed tonight. If you could count, if you could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants would also be numbered. He says, Abraham, listen, let me tell you something. Just look down at all the dust out here in the desert. Your your descendants are going to be more than the dust of the earth. So he expands it just a little bit. He gives him a little more of it. Now go to chapter 15 and look at this. Chapter 15, he's going to expand it even more. He comes to him and and listen to what he says in verse 4. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this man will not be your heir. He was thinking, Abraham came and he said, God's promised me a son. Hadn't had a son. A couple of years have passed now. Haven't had one. Eliezer's this faithful servant in my house. And he says, I'm I'm just going to have to help God out and I'm going to make Eliezer my son. That must be what God means. I'll just help God. God's not moving near fast enough for me, so I'll help God out and he'll be my servant. God comes to me and he says, no, Abraham, not him. That's not what I'm doing. He says, this man will not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body. You are going to father this child. You are going to be the biological father of the child. He shall be your heir. The, the child that you have, that you father. Now look, then God took him outside again and said, now look toward the heavens. He told him once, look down here at the earth, look at all the dust of the earth. Now he says, lift up your heads and look up to the heavens, count the stars. If you're able to count them, and he said to him, so shall your descendants be. And I love verse six, then he believed in the Lord and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. He said, okay, God, I think I've got what you're doing. I think I understand now. Then comes Hagar, and Sarah says, this is the way. Okay, if you're going to be the father, if God said you're going to biologically be the father, here's my handmaid, you take her, and you have a son by her. And God comes in chapter 17, and he's going to expand it even again, even more. He comes in verse 15 of chapter 17, then God said to Abraham, as Sarah your wife, as for, Sarah, as for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her by Sarah, but Sarah, she shall be, shall be her name. I'll bless her, and indeed, I'll give you a son by her. Then I will bless her, and she will be a mother of nations. Kings of people will come from her. And Abraham fell on his face, and he laughed. And he said in his heart, will a child be born to a man 100 years old, and will Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? In other words, God came and he says, listen, I told you it's going to be biologically from you. Now he comes after Hagar, the whole issue with Hagar, and he says, listen, that's not what I'm, will you let me handle this, Abraham? I'm God, you're not. You're going to be the father. She's going to be the mother. And to Abraham, it was funny. A hundred-year-old man having a child. 
Y'all do, rem- y'all do know that I'm from the state of South Carolina, don't you? Y'all remember our great senator, Strom Thurmond? We called him Abraham. He was having children up in his 70s. Uh, uh, Debbie was close to the family. Debbie, Debbie babysat all of Strom Thurmond's babies. And um, those were days I was, I, was, I was dating her, and when they called her to come babysit, I'd slip over there to see her while she was babysitting. That's another, that's another. I don't, I don't need to even. Anyway. That's Abraham. You know, we thought Strom Thurmond was something, but Abraham was beyond that. Here he is, a hundred years of age. And God keeps not only repeating it, but he keeps expanding it. He expands it. Now, here's Abraham, and what is he doing? He keeps walking by faith, trusting God, and over a 25-year period, God keeps promising and he expands the promise, and he promises, and he expands the promise for 25 years. That's a long time to wait, God. We don't like waiting 25 minutes for anything. Do you know, I read an article today by Google. I want you to listen to this. If you're in e-commerce, if you've got an ad on e-commerce, that is, you know, you're a plumber, and and you've got to earn your living by being a plumber, and your family depends on that, and um, you, you, I've got to get a website on there. People don't have yellow books anymore. So we've got to get on there and find, where can I find a plumber? I've got to at least be on there. Do you know that on the average phone, iPhone, that when you download, I'm typing in plumbers in Hoover. Uh, when I type something like that in on the average iPhone, it takes 22 seconds to download that page. 53% of the people who get on here to find a plumber leave that website in three seconds. And so do I. I'm part of the 53%. I'll leave it. If it doesn't download like that, I'm gone. I'm looking for something else. Uh, The amazing thing is this. In e-commerce, they say this. Two seconds is the threshold for e-commerce website acceptability. And at Google, we aim for under a half second. We don't like to wait. We drive up, listen, we drive up to Chick-fil-A at 11 o'clock so that we don't have to drive up there at 1130 because we don't want to be the 32nd car in line. We can't stand, and listen, they clip them through there pretty fast. We live life so quickly, but I want you to understand something. Go back to this one statement again that has just caught my attention at the appointed time in verse 2. Listen, God's timing for this was not based on Abraham and what Abraham thought he needed. Just as God's timing in your life is not based on you and what you think you need. God's timing, listen to me, this is is so insightful. God's timing is based on God's timing. Do you realize that I've thought about this a lot today. Do you realize God works in the same way in your life that God worked in Abraham's life? And God, has, God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And God doesn't get any faster because Google says he's got to download at two seconds. 
and listen, you need to think about that because we, we want things so fast. I do. I do. Maybe nobody else here does, but I do. We want things so fast. We want it done right this minute. But listen, do you know why God doesn't move as quickly in our lives? Is because it took God 25 years to mature a 75-year-old man. Now, you think maturity is for the 17, 18-year-old. You think maturity is for the 23, 24-year-old? Abraham started to mature in God at 75. And it took God 25 years to get him where he needed to be before God would give him that son that he wanted. Boy, that's a word to all of us right there. God's timing. God doesn't get any more in a hurry today for me, for you, than he did for Abraham. Now, let me show you the second part of this. Still in this whole thing of celebration here. The second part of it is God ultimately demonstrates his power in this. This is all about the power of God, the demonstration of God's power. Look at verse 2. Sarah conceived and bore a son to Abraham in his old age. It is about the fact that Abraham could not have done that. Look down at verse 5. Now, Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Abraham physiologically could not have done that. This was the power of God. Do you see what's key, what keeps being said here? Look at verse 7. And she said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. So it's just kind of like the Holy Spirit just keeps coming and saying, this is the power of God, the power of God, the power of God. This is not the power of man. This is not Abraham. This is God moving in a situation. Now, let me, let me, let me, let me give you two things that are, that are here, a theological implication of all of this. Do you know how many times in the New Testament the 21st chapter of Genesis is referred to? I could just start taking you on a trip with this. Uh, I, I, I can't think of all of them. But do this. Go to Romans chapter 4 with me. The whole of the fourth chapter of Romans is about this. You know, the great theological high point of the New Testament is Romans and, and the whole fourth chapter deals with Abraham. Now, watch this, because it's, it's taking this and it's showing us a spiritual or a theological implication from this physiological birth of Isaac. In Romans chapter 4, verse 19, without becoming weak in faith, he, con- he contemplated his own body. He thought about his own body. Now, as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. In other words, he says, it is physically impossible for Sarah and I to conceive a child, give birth to that child at 100 years of age and 90 years of age. So Paul is saying, it is spiritually impossible for you to do anything to earn your salvation because you are as spiritually dead as Abraham's body was physically dead. Now look at verse 21. Being fully assured that God had what God had promised, he was also he was able 
also to perform. That is, Abraham came to the place where he said, it is absolutely impossible for me, but this thing is possible with God. Do you see that's the moment of faith? I can't save myself from my sin. I can't deal with my sin. I can't wash my sin away. There's nothing I can do with my sin, but I do believe this, God can do something with my sin, and I'm gonna trust him to do it. Look at verse 20. Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief. I'm not gonna waver in unbelief. I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and question what God is able to do. I'm not going to sit here and debate what God is able to do. I will not waver in my unbelief. Do you see the Christian, do you see the maturity of 25 years here in this man's life? He did not waver in unbelief, but he grew, look, he was growing strong in faith. Though he was physically growing old and weak, he was spiritually growing strong. He grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. Isn't that amazing? Now, that whole fourth chapter right there, Paul uses as an analogy for how dead we are spiritually, and he compares it to, you know, the body of Abraham, uh, that it was dead, and then God gave him power to conceive this child. It is obvious this was the power of God. Wasn't anything that he could do on his own. The same thing is true with your life and my life. That there was nothing I can do, I could do to save myself. In fact, in that fourth chapter of Romans, if you're still there, uh, look, look, it's it's kind of it's kind of interesting. Paul goes on to say this. Listen to what he says. He says, now, not for his sake only was it written that it was credited to him, but for our sake also, to whom it will be credited as those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He who was delivered over because of our transgression was raised because of our justification. He said this whole thing was written not for Abraham because it didn't do Abraham any good. This was all written after Abraham. He said it was written for us that we can look back and see the power of God in the physical life of Abraham and Sarah and understand that if God can do that with them physically, what can God do with us spiritually? God can do that. It's his power. It's the power of God that is at work within us. Now, there's a practical implication. That's the theological. Let me give you the practical implication to all of this. There was a reaction in the camp of, of Abraham. What do you suppose they did? Can you imagine uh, that night what all, all the excitement, the celebration, uh, the joy, the laughter, uh, I imagine the singing, the dancing, all of that. When it, here's, here's, here's the whole thing. Abraham had laughed, chapter 17. Chapter 18, Sarah had laughed when God said this was going to happen. But at 2.30 in the morning, when a 90-year-old woman went into labor and she screamed, I guarantee you it woke everybody in the Negev up. And God got the last laugh. And there was joy. She had that child. You think about this. A hundred years, you know, I'm 61 and I'm nuts about my grandkids. I love my grandkids. But can you imagine a hundred-year-old man, 90-year-old woman, and they have their first child, how crazy they are about that child? 
Can you just imagine? I imagine as they gathered there in the camp of Abraham, it was like that baboon bringing out Simba, you know, hold it. They brought, they brought Isaac out there, held Isaac up. You know, I don't, whatever they do in Zulu. There they held that baby up. Can you imagine how that entire family and all the servants of Abraham just celebrated in this? It was a picture. It's, listen, it's a picture of heaven for us. Of when you arrive in heaven, the celebration that takes place there because a child of God has come. You know, we're told now that there's celebration in heaven when one comes to Christ. I led a man to the Lord in my office the other day. I'm going to baptize him Sunday morning. And I can tell you, I can tell you right now, in that moment, all of heaven erupted into praise. All of heaven celebrated. They held up. Maybe they held up his picture. I don't know. They held up and said, look who's been born now into the family of God. There should be celebration in the house of God. There should be more of it than, than there is. Now, let me give you the second thing, and the second thing is this. Faith also brings a separation. Now, this, there's a cloud now that's going to fall over the 21st chapter. That's all been fun. That's all been celebratory. That's all been joyful. But now there's a shadow that's going to fall. Here comes a dark side. Um, this is what happens if you look at verse 8. Uh, Sarah now has born him a child, a son, in his old age. And the child grew, verse 8, and was weaned. Now, these Bedouins would wean their children a little later than our children are weaned. Uh, they would wean them around three, four, five years of age. Um, and it was a big thing for a child when that child was weaned. And uh, they would throw a party. And that's what Abraham did. Uh, so the child grew and was weaned. So Isaac probably was three or four or five right here. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. Now watch. Now Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham, mocking. Therefore, she said to Abraham, drive out this maid and her son, for the son of this maid shall not be an heir with my son Isaac. Well, the situation was they had thrown this boy a big party. Well, let me repeat it since we missed it. They've thrown Isaac now a big party. And um, Ishmael most likely would have been 14, 14, 15, somewhere right in there. Pretty much what they would have considered almost really a man. Um, he, he is walking around evidently behind Isaac and he's mocking him. And the word in the Hebrew means a bitter type of mocking. Now, this is what was going on. He realized what had happened here. He knew. He knew that when this boy was born, that he was cut out now from the family, that he would not inherit anything, uh, that he was an outsider uh, that he no longer had the, the status and the privilege that he had had for all these years and that this boy, this child, was the heir and would receive it all. And it uh, broke his heart, it enraged him, and so he followed him around mocking him bitterly. So that when Sarah saw it, Sarah said, 
get them out of here. Now, I can't imagine what must have gone on in the heart of Abraham because that was his son. It was his boy, and he loved him, and he cared for him. And um, I imagine he was um, tremendously distressed and torn over, do I do what Sarah, am I going to do what Sarah says, or will I just ignore her and work something out and just say, honey, you know, I'll work this thing out, You just, but I'm not going to send her away. She's a, 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 a single mom. She's, she's been my wife. Basically, there's no other way to describe it but that. You can call her whatever else you want to, a maid, a concubine, whatever. She was his wife. This is my son. I imagine that was the thing that was tearing at the heart of Abraham. And the Bible says the matter distressed him. That's an understatement right there. He was grieved in it, is the Hebrew. It grieved him. He was going through a grieving process. But now watch, here comes the goodness and the grace of God right here. And the goodness and the grace of God comes. God says this, listen to your wife. Don't be distressed because of the lad and the maid. Whatever Sarah tells you, listen to her. For through Isaac, your descendants shall be named. And of the son of the maid, I will make a nation also. Now in a couple of weeks, and I can't remember when, but in a couple of weeks, I'm going to stop and I'm going to show you where the Arab people come from. Because they come from Ishmael. And how many sons does Ishmael have? Twelve. How many, how many is Jacob going to have? Twelve. And Ishmael is going to have twelve. So you begin, to, you begin to see, here's the whole issue. You want to know what the problem is tonight? You got these two Muslim women in Congress, and oh, there's the uproar and everything with Israel. What's, what's going on? Right here. Now, when they invite me to Congress, I'm going to explain it to them. And I'm going to, here's the whole problem right here. Listen, this goes all the way back. It goes back when Sarah tried to do what only God could do. And they got in the flesh. And they made a bad decision. And that's going to be part of what I'm going to close with. But let me show you the theological implication here. The theological implication is this. You've got another picture Put your finger there in Genesis 21. Go with me to Galatians 4. This whole thing here is about it. Galatians chapter 4. And I'm just going to kind of read through this. You'll pick it up. It makes a lot of sense. If you don't understand this, then you get to Galatians, you'd think, what in the world's going on here? Well, here it is, beginning in verse 21. Tell me, you who want to be under law, do you not listen to the law? Now, you, you want to be saved by the law? Do you ever stop and just listen to the law? Because these Galatians now, having been saved by grace, they are wanting to go back now and live by the law. For it was written that Abraham had two sons, one by the bondwoman and one by the free woman. But the son by the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and the son by the free woman through the promise. This is allegorically speaking, for these women are two covenants. One proceeding from Mount Sinai, there was a covenant that God gave at Mount Sinai. What was that? It's called the Decalogue. It's called the Ten Commandments. It's the law. Uh, there is the, the law, the covenant that came from there, proceeding from Mount Sinai, bearing children who are to be slaves. 
She is Hagar. Mount Sinai is Hagar. Now, this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem for she is in slavery with her children. He says, because Jerusalem is under the law right now. All these Jews believe the law. They're not trusted in Christ. He says that's where they are. They're enslaved. Now, this Hagar's Mount Sinai in Arabia corresponds to the present Jerusalem. She's in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above, aha, is free. She is our mother, for it is written, Rejoice, barren woman who does not bear. Who's that referring to? Sarah. Break forth and shout, you who are not in labor. For more numerous are the children of the desolate than of the one who has a husband. And you, brethren, like Isaac, are children of promise. He's writing the church at Galatia saying, you've been saved by grace, not by law. You can't, do, you can't perform the law. You can't live up to the law. You were saved by grace. But at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit. Oh, this is so good. But what does the scripture say? He goes back now. He's going he's gonna, to he's gonna quote the Old Testament. He's going to quote here, verse chapter 21. Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be an heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman. We are of the free woman. We, in other words, we have come to the one who came from Father Abraham and Mother Sarah all the way down to Mary, through David, through that lineage, down to Mary, and Mary, a virgin, whom the Holy Spirit moved over her womb, and her womb conceived that which is holy, that which is God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, that's where our salvation comes from. It doesn't come from the law. It doesn't come from the law. It comes from the free woman. Now, that's, that's the theological implication. Now, what's the practical implication? It's this. Is that there are decisions that we make, even as we follow God, that are out of God's will, that have repercussions in the future. I go back to say. What, you, what we have got in the whole world tonight. Do you know in the prophet, uh, uh, prophecy of Zechariah, uh, the prophet Zechariah speaking for God says, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling. In other words, have you ever watched anybody carrying a, a, a full cup of coffee on a salt and you just kind of, you're watching it, that whole thing, and you're thinking that's going to spit. Well, the whole world is watching Jerusalem tonight. And we just know something at some point is going to explode there. It goes back to all of this right here and to a decision that Abraham and Sarah made that was out of the will of God. And you say, well, now, wait a minute, preacher. Wait a minute, wait a minute. What, what, am, what am I to do at this point? What am I to do? I, I've made bad decisions in the past. I don't want to do that. I want to stay in God's will. But what do I do with the fact that I've made the bad decisions in the past and they are wrong decisions, and they were made in the flesh, and it was in rebellion against God that I did those kind of things, what do I do? The best thing I can tell you is what Abraham did, and that is you need to start separating yourself from those things that are outside of God's will.
Now, I'm not talking about people here unless there are people in your life that are pulling you off into things you have no business being in. The whole thing with Abraham was this. There had to be separation. Why have we forgotten in the church among the people of God, come out from among them and be ye separate? There's to be a separation in our lives. Uh, I, I started to preach tonight what I, what I preached um, Monday night in Gadsden at the First Baptist Church in Gadsden at the School of the Prophets. I started to preach here tonight what I preached there because the message just so spoke to my heart if it didn't speak to anybody else's. And the whole thing was this about the church at Laodicea. I was assigned the church at Laodicea. I was the seventh preacher, and they did the seven churches of Revelation. By the time they got to the end, they were ready to spew something out of their mouth. And that something was me. I was the bitter end. I walked in. I sat down. There's a guy in the back. I said, you been here for the whole time? He says, I've been here the whole time. I said, you going to stay or you going to leave? He said, I'm here to the bitter end. He said, who are you? I said, I'm the bitter end. <laughs> but I want to I tell you in, in that whole thing, the problem in the church in Laodicea was that they had lost their zeal. You know what Jesus tells them? Be zealous and repent. Because they had traded everything that they had to be like the culture. That's all you hear. That's all that's being written today. Be like the culture, you know, know the culture, this, culture, that, culture, this, culture, that, culture, the other. What we've done is we've looked so hard at the culture that we have gotten our eyes completely off the Christ. We want to be so much like the culture. Well, don't you want to reach the culture? I do want to reach the culture. Let me tell you the best way the church can reach the culture. Be different. Be different. If you're like the culture, you just might as well do anything else. Abraham separated himself as hard and as hurtful as that was. He separated himself. But now let me tell you something. That's not a negative. It is not a separation from. But what God is calling us to do is a separation to. Not just the separation from this, but I am to be separated to Christ. And that ends the lesson. Do you have any questions? I love it when you have no questions. Okay. Debbie will be home Saturday. She has gone to help in a wedding of some dear friends in Jacksonville. And I am pleased that she was able to go, and I don't have to. I'm glad to be with y'all, but good. No, I'm glad I'm not having to go and sit through a rehearsal and a wedding. Yeah, well, I don't know about that. Father, thank you so much for your word, for your family. 
that you feed us, Father. Lord, we don't always realize it and recognize it, but in these times that we have together, you feed us. Through these, uh, through these meals uh, from your word, through these things that you teach us from your word, Father, you feed us and we grow. And spiritual growth takes time, Lord. It does not happen overnight. Help us, Father, uh, to be patient with what you're doing in our lives and to be yielding like Abraham did, that every time you came and you spoke to him that promise, you expanded it, that, Father, we can see that you're expanding and growing us um, day by day and week by week. Help us to be obedient. Help us to be faithful. And, Father, help us to have the wisdom to say no and to separate ourselves ourselves from those things that do not belong in our lives. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this recording from Valleydale Church. To find more or to connect with us about what you just heard, check us out at valleydale.org.